0: Hey, Reveal listeners, if you've been listening to American Rehab, you don't need me to tell you about the importance of great investigative journalism. It really helps us when our listeners rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's so easy to do, and it helps others find our show. So we've got a bonus for the next 200 people who review us reveal tote bags like our t-shirts they're simple and elegant dark blue with the word facts written across the front in bold type so here's what you got to do text the word review to 474747 and we'll give you instructions on how to get one while supplies last again text the word review to 474747 you can text stop at any time and standard rates apply and when you leave the review, if you want to tell them that Al Letson is your all-time favorite host, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at that. Thank you so much for your review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference. From the
1: Center for Investigative
0: Reporting and
1: PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Michael Montgomery, in for Al Letson. It's 3.30 in the morning in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, a small city on the western shore of Lake Michigan. Manuel Estrada is driving to work at a local dairy farm. The streets are almost empty, just a few other dairy workers and a police patrol. Manuel is wary of the cops. That's because he came here illegally from Mexico as a teen. He says it was the first time he was ever away from his family. He's avoided trouble with the police and built a life here. He married a local woman and started his own family. He takes home $11.50 an hour. Manuel says the work here is better than in other places. But now he and his friends worry that all of this is about to change. He says everyone he works with is undocumented, and a lot of people are afraid. The farm sits on rolling green hills, just a few miles from the lake. In a large barn, Manuel coaxes a line of cows into milking stalls and connects black hoses to their udders. Then a powerful compressor pumps the milk into a huge cooler. This morning Manuel and another worker will milk 400 cows. The work is exhausting, especially now. Manuel says he's been working nonstop for a month, sometimes 16 hours at a time, because the farm has been down a man. Other farms are short on workers, too. That worries Abby Driscoll. Her family has owned this farm for 150 years.
2: Usually within a day, I would have someone here on the farm that was ready and willing to work starting pretty much that day. Uh, Then it got to be a couple days and then a couple weeks. And now this last time, it was a month and a half before we found someone.
1: Over the years, the Driscolls and other dairy owners came to rely on workers like Manuel.
2: We have put out ads for, um, you know, legal citizens, and we don't have anyone else that comes here to do the job that they do.
1: Jobs like early morning milkings. Keep in mind, dairy is one of Wisconsin's biggest industries, at the same time, this is the state that pushed Donald Trump to victory last November, bringing his immigration agenda into the White House.
0: Thank you very much, it's great to be here today. To-
1: Just this past week, President Trump endorsed a new bill that he says would cut legal immigration by half.
0: This legislation demonstrates our compassion for struggling American families who deserve an immigration system that puts their needs first and that puts America first.
1: The bill targets unskilled immigrants and favors those who speak English and have an education. But even short of new laws, President Trump is having an impact. Some workers here illegally have fled the state or the country. Others simply stopped looking for work. That's left farmers like Abby in the lurch.
2: I can only imagine in the next few years it's just going to continue to get worse.
1: She knows Manuel is in the country illegally. So do the local police. They've pulled him over before, and they know he doesn't have a driver's license. They've left him alone for now. But if President Trump and other Republicans succeed in cracking down on illegal immigration, things could get a lot riskier for folks like Manuel, and for the people and places offering them sanctuary. Reveal's Andrew Becker picks up Manuel Estrada's story during a protest at the Wisconsin State Capitol.
3: Manuel Estrada is talking before a crowd of about 200 people on the rain-slickened steps of the tree-lined statehouse. Manuel is surrounded by a few dozen people carrying banners and signs. He's wearing a white T-shirt that plays off a popular marketing meme. It reads, Got Milk? not without immigrants. He's here with his wife, Jenny, who's translating for him.
4: My name is Manuel Estrada, and I have 13 years here in this country. And of those 13 years working on a farm, the work is dirty, it's uh, long, but it's necessary. Necessary for me to uh, take care of my family, and necessary for the state. They call us the Dairy State, um, gracias al... Oh, for, <laughs> the dairy state, but it states to the, the,
3: the strength of the immigrants. The Estradas rode a bus for two and a half hours from Manitowoc to Madison with a group of other activists. They've come to fight a bill that would prevent local officials from offering sanctuary to immigrants here illegally. They're worried that the law would drive dairy workers like Manuel out of the country. Manuel is 30, has a slight build and wears his hair closely cropped on the sides, longer on top, with a wispy goatee. Jenny's 37, and you can hear her native Wisconsin accent come through when she talks. They've been married for a little more than a year and have a three-year-old son. They're also raising four children from Jenny's previous marriage. That ended after authorities deported her then-husband to Mexico. At the rally, Jenny comes across as the more outgoing of the two. Manuel wastes few words, but his message is forceful. Manitowoc is one of the top dairy producing counties in the country. Manuel mentions recent studies that found 90% of the dairy workers in the county are undocumented. He urges the crowd to stand strong and fight President Trump's immigration policies and anti sanctuary laws. <laughs> Si se puede. Yes, we can. Inside the Capitol building, state lawmaker Bob Gannon seems unmoved by the protest.
1: I have nothing against immigrants. Um, I just want them to be legal immigrants.
3: Gannon co-sponsored the bill that Manuel and his group are fighting. It would outlaw sanctuary policies throughout the state. The fight is over something called detainer requests. That's when Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, asks local jailers to detain immigrants already behind bars on other charges, past their scheduled release date. That gives federal agents time to decide whether they want to deport the person. Gannon says locals need to work with feds on this.
1: We're having some municipalities that are in effect Condoning criminal behavior and not enforcing the laws as written. You do not have the lawful right to just arbitrate locally that you're going to ignore certain laws. But many
3: counties and cities disagree and have pushed back against the federal government's attempts to make them honor detainer requests. And several federal courts have ruled in their favor. Just last month, the Massachusetts Supreme Court ruled that police in that state can't hold people only on ICE detainers. But Gannon isn't alone in trying to do away with sanctuary policies. Here's Attorney General Jeff Sessions.
5: I strongly urge our nation's states and cities and counties to consider carefully the harm they are doing to their citizens by refusing to enforce our immigration laws and to rethink these policies. Such policies make their cities and states less safe.
3: When Sessions made this speech in March, the White House was already threatening to cut federal funding to places that won't work with ICE. After San Francisco sued, a federal judge blocked the Trump administration. And then in April, the Justice Department escalated the threats and demanded that nine places, including Milwaukee County, provide proof that they're cooperating with ICE agents. Gannon says the entire country needs to work together.
1: I am in agreement with President Trump that if you break the law in the United States, you should expect to get a one-way ticket out of here.
3: And Gannon says if an immigration crackdown disrupts the rural economy and dairy industry,
1: so be it. If it takes illegal immigrants to make their business model operate, I think their model is broken.
3: At the rally that day, some of the people protesting worked for dairy farmers who voted for Trump. Jenny says her husband raised concerns right after the election.
4: He did. Actually, the day after Trump won, he came home, and he said that um, his boss said to him right away, Ha ha, Trump won. Yeah, Trump won. She was really excited in the farm, and he says, We'll see if you say that a couple months down the road when you're milking all these cows by yourself.
3: That's right. Manuel's boss, Abby, voted for Donald Trump. In Madison, as a sprinkle turns to rain, the protesters push into the Capitol building to press their point with lawmakers. They're satisfied that they've been heard, though maybe not listened to. Manuel and Jenny join the others as they board a school bus back toward Manitowoc. — For a window into how Wisconsin became so divided, let's go to an event held last February near Washington, D.C.
6: Hi, CPAC!
3: It's the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC. It's an annual gathering that brings together top conservative voices and marquee names of the right wing.
4: Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark is... He is a rock star.
3: Sheriff David Clark is a cowboy hat-wearing, tough-talking staple of Fox News. He got a hero's welcome from hundreds of conservatives who had shown up to hear people like Kellyanne Conway, Betsy DeVos, Mike Pence.
4: And besides our president, I have to say, I think he's the most authentic and influential voice uh, in our culture and in our politics.
3: And he hates sanctuary cities. Cork has led a chorus of praise for anti-sanctuary bills, like the ones in Wisconsin, Texas, and in Congress.
7: Sanctuary cities provide cover for criminal illegal aliens to continue to prey on not only law-abiding people, but also illegal immigrants in this country. If you were a criminal
3: Clark is a polarizing figure and a bit of a paradox. He rails against liberals, but he's a registered Democrat. He's an African-American who slams the Black Lives Matter movement. He cheers for the Dallas Cowboys. His uncle once played for the team. But he lives in Packerland, where rooting for Green Bay is a kind of religion. Clark wants the federal government to cut funding from sanctuary cities and counties, including Milwaukee.
7: Well, I don't know how any law enforcement official or public official, a mayor or governor, uh, can sit back with a straight face and say our communities are stronger because of illegal immigration.
3: Sheriff Clark is at odds with his own County Board of Supervisors. Five years ago, the board passed a measure limiting how county officials respond to detainer requests from ICE agents. They wanted to shield people involved in minor violations, like traffic stops, from possible deportation. Instead, Clark says he'll keep anyone locked up for ICE. It's something he brags about on
7: national TV. So when ICE has given me a detainer for the last eight years under Obama, Obama, I have honored that detainer.
3: This is how a local feud became a national story. It turns out that all of the places being targeted by the Justice Department, including Milwaukee, do hold immigrants for ICE if they've committed serious crimes. But that kind of policy isn't good enough for the feds. They say locals should hold everyone ICE wants. Milwaukee County Attorney Margaret Dawn says they're stumped by the attention they're getting since their sheriff is defying their orders and doing whatever ICE wants. —
8: in my near 15 years of practice, I would say this is definitely in the top three of unusualness. Again, both in the stakes at issue, the lack of guidance, and sort of the, the changeability of the legal landscape on a near daily basis.
3: And there's another thing. One of the reasons the county supervisors passed the measure was financial. Peggy Romo-West is the first Latina to be elected to the Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors. She says holding immigrants for ICE is expensive.
2: In 2012, when we passed that specific ICE detainer resolution, it actually had cost the county $70,000 to detain people for immigration uh, because they weren't paying us per day what it was that we were spending. And so why should the citizens of Milwaukee County eat that cost?
3: Over the years, the dollar figure has grown, County officials say it now costs the sheriff's office nearly $1 million to hold roughly 3,000 inmates a year for ICE, with no reimbursement. (music) Sheriff Clark declined multiple interview requests. In an email, his spokeswoman wrote that if we want to talk about how issues like immigration divide this country, we should speak with former President Barack Obama. Instead, we turn to someone who's known Clark for years. Joining me now on stage, he needs no introduction, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark Jr. Right. Conservative talk radio host Charlie Sykes helped Clark boost his national profile by making him a regular guest on his statewide show. I, you, all of you. I gotta ask you about this because you actually have brought a stun gun here. This was not, this was not intended for me, I am assuming.
7: You never know. Okay, go ahead. You'll never
3: know. Charlie's show aired for nearly 25 years before he stepped down in December. He says that illegal immigration was never a big issue for him, and it wasn't for the sheriff either, until Clark's profile started to rise and he arrived on the national stage as that political rock star. Now, Charlie regrets giving Clark a platform. No, I'm, 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 I'm willing to accept the responsibility. I've referred to him as my Frankenstein monster. Um, I, I can't claim that I was not warned. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that here's a guy who's, uh, whose rhetoric did not match up with his performance. But Sheriff David Clark, uh, yeah, there are some significant regrets there. Wisconsin helped Trump win the presidency, but people here didn't necessarily vote for him because of his immigration policies, particularly in Dairyland. That's something that didn't dawn on Charlie until another talk radio host told him about a recent show. He said, you know, I had this remarkable show the other day where somebody said, you know, if we didn't have illegal immigrants, we couldn't run our dairy farms. And he said, I didn't believe him. So I opened up my phones, and I got an hour and a half of callers calling in saying, that's absolutely true. This is not an economy that uh, is being damaged by illegal immigrants. We're really being kept afloat by it. So what do these changes in immigration policy mean for dairy farmers who voted for Trump? Recently, we visited Abby Driscoll's farm, where Manuel Estrada works. We found Abby shoveling hay for the cows. They moo at her, hungry to be fed. Walking out in the barn, she talks proudly about her girls, the cows.
2: See that one right there? That's candy. She's going to be going to the county fair. She's pretty spoiled.
3: Abby doesn't blame Manuel for living illegally in the country. She says she'll do whatever she can to help and protect him. He's trying to get legal status through his wife. But with her other employees, Abby takes kind of a don't ask, don't tell approach when it comes to their immigration status.
2: We definitely realize that, yeah, we are maybe turning a blind eye to it, that some of these workers are in this country illegally.
3: Under the law, Abby must get proof from her employees that they are authorized to work in the country. As long as she can show some documentation, she takes them at their word. Still, I asked Abby why she voted for Trump.
2: I was expecting some things to happen when I voted for Trump as far as all of his immigration policies, but I guess I wasn't expecting it to go as far as it did already.
3: Neither did other farmers who also depend on immigrant labor. Abby still thinks immigration reform is needed, but not the kind Donald Trump and Sheriff Clark are talking about.
2: I think that they should make the process easier for them to become legal for people like Manuel who want to do the right thing and they want to be here and they want to be a citizen just like everyone else.
3: At their home in Manitowoc, the Estradas say they're fighting back against Trump and the proposed laws because they're afraid of their family being separated.
4: Uh, to me it's scary um, separation of family is uh, the one thing that i fight the hardest for um watching people's family get separated is just it's heartbreaking um, and i and I, I i am fearful i think i'm more fearful than him
1: That story from Reveal's Andrew Becker. Others
7: are fearful too, so afraid that they're leaving the country. They better do something, though. They better do something. You see it right here. They're packing
1: up. Does that mean that Donald Trump's immigration policies are working? More on that when we come back. This is Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX.
8: Reveal is brought to you by the University of Virginia and the Sacred and Profane podcast. We often hear it's not polite to bring up religion, but we lose so much when we don't talk about religion. Sacred and Profane is a podcast that isn't afraid to tackle religion. Next up, the longstanding problem of discriminatory policing against religious and racial minorities in France. Sacred and Profane is produced by the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab at the University of Virginia. Catch season two wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for Reveal comes from Blinds.com. Transforming your home into even more of a sanctuary is easy and affordable with Blinds.com. They make it simple to shop top quality blinds, shades, and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering and free shipping. Blinds.com has helped millions of homeowners through the process, and they guarantee the perfect fit whether you DIY or have them install everything for you. Go right now and see how much you can save At Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Michael Montgomery, sitting in for Al Letson. The state of Wisconsin has become a flashpoint in the debate over immigration. On one side, you have people like Milwaukee Sheriff David Clark. He says immigrants in the country illegally should get out no matter what. On the other, you have farmers. They say a day without undocumented immigrants would slam the brakes on Wisconsin's $43 billion dairy industry. Caught in the middle are the workers, the folks who tend, feed, and milk more than a million cows. And some of them aren't waiting around to see what happens. Alexandra Hall of Wisconsin Public Radio and the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism brings us their story.
9: In western Wisconsin, there's a farmhouse with a pickup truck parked outside in the driveway. The mid-afternoon light lingers, and five men are using a drill, a hammer, and nails to build what looks like a plywood fence around the sides of the truck bed. While they work, a young woman, her name's Luisa Topole, hurries out of the house carrying something. A cardboard box of books, a suitcase full of clothes or children's toys, And then she insists that her husband, Miguel Hernandez, take it. His job is to figure out how to fit all of this, every item his family owns, onto the back of this truck. And that's hard when you've lived here as long as they have. A man and woman in their late 50s wait and watch from about 100 feet away. Doug Kanepke and his wife, Tony, own this farm.
7: We can't milk the cows anymore by ourselves. It really does concern me as far as who's gonna who's gonna fill their shoes.
10: The uh, Americans just don't want to put the hours in this.
9: Miguel is from Mexico. He's thought about what Doug and Tony are saying more than once.
11: In the 16 years I have working on the farm, I never see a an American to stop and ask for job for milk cows.
9: Miguel and the other workers have kept farms going here in America's Dairyland. If you ask them, they'll tell you stories of how they walked through the desert for days to cross the border into the U.S., how they eventually got here to Wisconsin, and they found jobs on farms eager for the help.
11: We just came to work, but some of people think uh, we are taking jobs from the illegal people.
9: Farmers who hire men like Miguel don't ask too many questions about whether their social security numbers or documents are real. They have an understanding. For decades, it's worked out for Mexican immigrants in Wisconsin to hold steady jobs. They've enjoyed a certain level of security. Some of them say that's not enough to keep them here. Not anymore. Inside their spacious house, Luisa cooks for Miguel and their two sons. She can see the door to the milking parlor through
8: the kitchen window, before, you felt more comfortable, you know, to go out, to buy food, or to the kids' appointments, or whichever place, but not anymore. Luisa was 16
9: when she traveled to the U.S. from Texhuacan and central Mexico. A few years later, she met Miguel, who's 10 years her senior. They started their family in this country and shared a house with other workers on the farm. She says it's been a while since she's felt comfortable
8: going into town.
4: These
8: days, it's like people feel more free to be offensive or to do things that aren't okay.
9: Luisa remembers an uncomfortable encounter
8: Miguel told her about right after the election last November. He said he went to a gas station to put gas in his car, and there were some Americans dressed in hunting gear. I went to the gas station she's talking about.
9: It's 20 minutes, more or less, from where they live. About a week after the election, Miguel stopped by here with a work buddy. The gas station convenience store is pretty compact, It sells beer and bags of ice, cigarettes and chewing tobacco. There's also tanks of water that hold live bait. Around the cash register, there's beef jerky, energy shots, and lighters. That day, Miguel and his friend had just finished paying when two men in camouflage came in. As they did, one said something to the other. He didn't look at Miguel, but it was loud enough for him to hear. Nobody there recorded the exchange, but Miguel says he remembers. The man used profanity, and then he said... The Mexicans, they shouldn't be here. Then he added something like, They aren't welcome. They should go back to Mexico. The only other person there who could hear was the cashier. Miguel says she looks serious, but she didn't say anything. What the guy said really bothered Miguel, but he stayed quiet at the store. And when he got home, he told Luisa what had happened.
8: What he said was ugly and not worth repeating. Obviously, he wasn't going to get into it with them. Because they will always win because they're American and we're not. Miguel and Luisa had always planned to
9: return to Mexico someday. They realized maybe that someday was today.
11: Now I think it with the new president and then new politics, I think it it's many people it's trying to go back.
9: They decided that after their oldest son finished preschool, Miguel would drive the family's truck and belongings to the border. A few days after that, Luisa would fly from Chicago with the kids.
11: Or families in Mexico, they, when they watch the news and the TV, uh, they see their rights in many states, and so they worry about that.
9: The fear of those raids escalated when rumors spread about immigration officers visiting the town nearest the farm. Miguel says when he told his bosses he planned to go, they offered him more money and his own house if he would stay. He turned down their offer. Four other workers decided to head back home, too. One reason, Miguel says, was the new president.
11: Because when he was in campaign, and then he promised he's going to deport all the... People wasn't legal in the country and stuff. Like our bosses always tell us, "Don't worry because he's not gonna do anything." But in some states, it's it's happening.
9: There are other reasons to return to Mexico. Miguel says his parents are getting older and his father is sick. Because they entered this country illegally, Miguel and Luisa haven't been able to visit their parents and get back to Wisconsin without risking trouble at the border.
7: So you got phones or whatever that you can keep in contact so you you get separated?
9: The truck bed enclosure is finished. It's taken all afternoon for the men to load it with furniture, boxes of clothes, and kitchen appliances. They've tied down the piles to make sure nothing falls out on the 37-hour drive to their hometown. Miguel's brother, Damaso, says he and the others watched the news in Spanish, and it's no secret how Wisconsin voted. Until last November, the state hadn't gone for a Republican since Ronald Reagan in
12: 1984.
5: They decided in this state, right? And this is where they need us the most for the labor. It's weird. It's difficult. The truth is, all of the Hispanic people here knew the Americans here in Wisconsin were supporting Donald Trump. I think they made a mistake, because a lot of people are fleeing precisely for that reason.
9: Farm owner Doug Kanapke has 650 cows to milk every single day, he wonders, who's going to do that now when these guys leave?
7: I don't know where the industry would be right now without them. You know? We're relying on it.
9: Doug had hoped lawmakers could have made it easier for his employees to stay on.
7: Like a working visa, they'll do it for a ball player. They'll do it for a migrant worker, which is seasonal. Dairy farming's not seasonal, so that frustrates me. But if I could have a working visa, I think it would be a win-win.
9: More than anything, he wants somebody—Congress, the president, anyone who has the power—to fix this problem.
7: They better do something, though. They better do something. Because they're leaving. You see it right here. They're packing up.
9: After the truck is loaded, Doug walks, smiling, toward Miguel. The farmer is head and shoulders taller than the herdsman he calls his right hand. Doug slaps Miguel's back as he gives him one last hug goodbye.
7: There's time to change your mind.
9: Around 6.30 the next morning, Miguel, Luis, and the others get into their trucks. Miguel shuts his door, pulls out of the driveway, and heads south. To leave Wisconsin and the life he led here in the rearview mirror.
1: That story from Alexandra Hall of Wisconsin Public Radio and the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism. Miguel and other families made the difficult decision to return to Mexico on their own terms. For those who do remain in this part of Wisconsin, Jim Smith and his wife, Jean Roush have a plan.
4: It has its own entrance.
1: This is the
7: entrance. You just go around and come in that way. But
4: there's lots of
1: doors,
7: so… This this is into our area.
1: Jim and Jean are showing us around their home. It looks out over Derry's first homesteaded more than 170 years ago. This is where they're quietly preparing a small sanctuary.
9: We are an apartment that is attached to our home. Um,
4: it's an efficiency apartment. Right now, is, no one is here, but we never know when they'll come.
5: <laughs>
1: they're retired school teachers and lifelong activists. Jean joined the protest in Madison, we heard about earlier in the show. Through their church, the couple became close to Latino immigrants.
9: Many people that we know from there are aware that this is available, because we've worked together on driver card and other issues, immigrant issues, over the years. So they trust who we
1: are and, and what we offer. Jim and Jean belong to a network of about two dozen people who plan to take in dairy workers and other immigrants if federal agents try to round them up. They formed a rapid response team to help workers get away from the farms and reunite with their families.
7: If somebody comes here and they need a ride to wherever, I will take them there. Uh, If I end up in jail for some reason, I will spend my time writing. Gene says people know how to activate their
1: safe haven plan if immigration agents show up. Jim has his story ready.
7: If somebody comes here, they're a guest, our guest. And I would definitely treat them that way. So if somebody comes looking for me, they can find me. If they go in this apartment, then I would expect some kind of a uh, legal document requiring that I open the door. Otherwise, I will not allow somebody in this apartment.
1: For now, the apartment sits empty. For immigrants who intend to stay, their door remains open. Other people are providing sanctuary, not for immigrants who want to stay in the U.S., but those looking for a safe passage north.
13: It's not the Hilton, but it certainly beats having somebody break down your door and detain you and your family.
1: We take a look at the last stop on the 21st century version of the Underground Railroad when we come back. This is Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Michael Montgomery, in for Al Letson.
5: Uh, What are your names? Uh,
1: I want to introduce you to a family in transition.
5: Aymara León.
1: Jose Forero. Jose and Aymara are a married couple from Valencia, the third largest city in Venezuela. He ran a chain of meat markets. She's a doctor. They have three young kids. Over the last few years,
12: life got a lot harder for them. Well, the problems that have spread across the country, which everyone knows about. Last year, the
1: price of consumer goods spiked 800%. The food shortages were so intense, poor nutrition caused the average Venezuelan to lose 20 pounds. The murder rate shot up, and riots broke out.
6: Without food... No medicine, no supplies for hospitals. All of these kinds of problems, which were all over the country, and more than anything, the political problem. Political, economic, social.
1: Jose says Venezuela's government ordered him to sell meat below cost. When he didn't, officials threatened to throw him in jail. Many business owners were in the same
12: situation. The family needed a way out. We didn't really have a definite... Lab. anything precise, but we intended to see what there was in the U.S.A. Jose came first to Miami
1: on a tourist visa. Imara and their kids arrived a few months later. They wanted to get asylum in the U.S. It was a long shot. Then Donald Trump won
6: the presidency. Once he won the presidency, there was a march that was actually against immigrants. This made us think again, because then there wouldn't be opportunities for immigrants.
1: The family met with immigration attorneys to see if they could stay. The lawyers doubted they'd have much success under the new administration. So like a growing number of asylum seekers, they looked north for sanctuary. We decided we wouldn't stay, that we'd come to Canada. A friend told them about a place that could help, a refugee shelter called Vive la Casa, this nonprofit is a few miles from the Canadian border, and it was Jose and Emira's last hope. Reveals Ike Shris follows Jose and Emira along what some call a new underground railroad to Canada. He starts
5: at a red brick school building in a low rent area of Buffalo, New York. In the Middle Ages, you could bang on a church door and call out for sanctuary. In 2017, it goes more like this. Hi.
6: Hi. Are you new? Trying to go to Canada?
5: That's the first thing the receptionist asks you when you walk into Vive. Are you trying to go to Canada today?
14: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much no matter who walks through the legal office, that's kind of the question they get asked.
5: <laughs> Vive's Mariah Walker helps new arrivals prepare their asylum documents to enter Canada there are always new arrivals. So
14: we had a few people, I'm not sure exactly how many, but we had two people come in throughout the night.
5: And how many people are here right now?
14: Um, I think just shy of a hundred.
5: This shelter tries to deliver on the Statue of Liberty's promise. It accepts tired, poor, huddled masses of asylum seekers. They come from dozens of countries, Colombia, Pakistan, Iraq, Haiti. Vive feels like Ellis Island inside a Catholic school. The old wooden floorboards creak under our feet, and next to every electrical outlet we pass, someone from somewhere in the world is charging a cell phone. It's a waiting room, with amenities, like lessons in English as a second language.
14: Uh, We also teach um, an orientation class two days a week, which is basically preparing people for what's going to happen at the Canadian border.
5: Buffalo has a long history of helping people on their way to Canada. In the 19th century, Harriet Tubman helped escaped slaves cross a suspension bridge over the Niagara River not far from here. During the 1980s, Franciscan nuns in the Buffalo area took up that task in response to an influx of refugees from war-ravaged El Salvador. At first, the nuns were just housing the Salvadorians in their convents, and that eventually turned into vive.
14: People find out um, about Vive through all different um, ways. Um, you know, they find out through family members, they find out through the internet, all completely word of mouth. Sister Beth will be able A
5: local healthcare nonprofit manages the shelter now, but nuns continue to run it, along with volunteers and paid staff like Mariah. Their reputation among distressed, displaced people has only grown.
14: Um, so January was when we really started getting hit pretty hard. Um, our numbers almost doubled.
5: Mariah says the staff fielded more than a thousand calls a day. The threat of a travel ban and increased immigration raids also spooked people, even those who'd lived in the U.S. without documents for years. Some supporters of the president may see this as a sign his immigration policies are working. People are self-deporting. But there's a difference between the president's tough talk on sanctuaries and what federal agencies actually do. Housing and urban development money helped buy this 100-year-old brick schoolhouse. One of the nuns told me that homeland security has dropped people off here when agents didn't know what else to do with them. So far, Immigration and Customs Enforcement has not entered the building to round up immigrants for detention. By the time Jose and Imira, the Venezuelan couple, arrived at Vive in March, the place was packed. Nearly 300 people, double its capacity, showed up that month. The shelter found overflow space in like-minded local churches. Jose's family headed to Pilgrim St. Luke's, a 140-year-old United Church of Christ congregation founded by German immigrants. Hey, Justo Gonzalez is the pastor here.
13: You know, it, it's not the Hilton, but it certainly beats having somebody break down your door and detain you and your family or living with that fear of that happening.
5: Justo's congregation recently declared itself a sanctuary church. It's one of 800 religious institutions in the U.S. to do so. That's twice as many as there were before the November election. So far, Pilgrim St. Luke's has sheltered about 50 people without immigration status.
13: We've received people from Maryland, Georgia, Texas, California, New Jersey, North Carolina, New York City, who have fled.
5: All over the U.S., longtime residents without documents and those passing through decided to head north after the presidential election. Only a handful of other sanctuary churches have actually housed undocumented people shielding them from removal. In a phone call with the head of another sanctuary church, Husto realized why his is different.
13: I was actually stunned when a pastor in California said, Oh my God, you have an exit strategy. When they come to me, They are under house arrest in a church basement and can't leave. Well, we do have an exit strategy. This church is less than a mile away from the Peace Bridge.
5: That's the International Highway arcing over the charging Niagara River, just an eight-minute drive away.
13: Look left. You see that? Right there, that's Canada.
5: As a sanctuary activist, Justo has developed a pretty high profile, He scrolls through his phone and shows me all the recent calls and text messages he's gotten from people asking for his help. He's also attracted unwelcome attention.
13: You're a scumbag. You're a fucking piece of shit for housing fucking undocumented illegal alien refugees and
3: you let them live there. You're a fucking scummer. I hate you. I hate
1: your church.
5: It's this kind of talk that convinced Jose and his family, along with thousands of others, that they might be better off in Canada. After waiting about three weeks in Buffalo, it was their turn. Early one morning, a cab picked up Jose and his family and drove them to the Peace Bridge, over the Niagara River, to the Canadian Border Services Agency. With Buffalo on one side, Toronto on the other, this is the busiest land bridge between the nations. Its building looks out on many lanes of booth like checkpoints between the US and Canada. Inside, where Jose and his family waited, it's technically no man's land.
10: We're not really in Canada and we're not really in the United States. We're huh. kind of on the, the space that is, I don't know, it's all border. Yeah. I don't know, it's, I call it La La Land. Yeah. I don't know if there's it's a It's an property. in between, it's
5: yeah. a purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> It's where Martha Mason runs the Peace Bridge Newcomer Center. It's a very Canadian waiting room. There's a red maple leaf on the flag and a picture of Queen Elizabeth on the wall. There's a daytime movie on the TV and a small stack of Little Caesars pizzas. This is where Jose and Imira dropped off their luggage and left their three kids under the supervision of the center's staff while they did their asylum interviews.
10: And the other side of the building where I can't take you it's Canada Border Services.
5: That's the side where the interviews happen. The first questions they ask, Jose.
12: What was your life like in your home country? What kind of person are you? What did you live? How long have you been married to your
5: wife? Honestly, it's a difficult
12: moment.
11: <laughs>
5: This high-stakes process can take a couple of hours or a full day. You have to prove you are who you say you are and that you have a close family member on the other side. Those are the terms of a treaty between Canada and the U.S. called the Safe Third Country Agreement. Asylum seekers who can't prove they have what authorities call an anchor relative can get sent back to the U.S. and potentially returned to their home countries.
10: So for uh, persons who are uh, out of status in the United States or undocumented, uh, being returned to the United States is pretty high risk for them.
5: Because, she says, if the U.S. does send them to their home countries, they could end up a political prisoner or dead. 200 Canadian law professors have called for a moratorium on the U.S.-Canada agreement, and there's a lawsuit trying to stop it. Martha says that's why people who don't meet the criteria sometimes take desperate measures.
10: And I have heard stories, uh, if, if they know that they don't, if they're not going to be able to meet the agreement, that they're going to go find another place to enter Canada where they don't have to meet the safe third country agreement.
5: The Royal Canadian Mounted Police has noted an increase in what it calls irregular crossings. Earlier this year, some crossers braved winter in northern Minnesota to sneak into Manitoba. One Ghanaian woman died of frostbite. Two of her countrymen lost nearly all their fingers. Nearly a 1,000 asylum seekers were refused entry into Canada because of the treaty, including a small group here at the Peace Bridge. Once denied, asylum seekers are then sent back across the bridge where U.S. Border Patrol agents decide their fate. Some agents send asylum seekers to detention, while others decide to give them a second chance back in the United States. Martha says the border agents don't tell her who gets in and who gets sent back. But she has her own way of learning what happens.
10: So this room is used for luggage.
5: It's a room in the back of the center with fluorescent lights, linoleum floors, and shelves for suitcases. Some of the luggage is made of sturdy plastic, Other bags resemble itchy sofa cushions with leather straps.
10: And it's really our only indicator to help us know whether a person is found eligible or not.
5: At the end of each asylum seeker's interview, if the border agent carries out the luggage, it means the person didn't make it. If an applicant walks out with a suitcase, he or she is free to move on.
10: So when the refugee claimant at the end of the day is finished and they go out this door, they're in Canada.
5: And what about Jose and his family? They made it through that door. I met them outside a Salvation Army temporary shelter in a Toronto suburb. Jose introduces me to his three kids.
13: Yo me llamo Amari. ¿Y cuántos años tienes? Cinco. Mi nombre Juliana tengo nueve años años
5: They're with other children in the yard outside the shelter. The sun is setting but it's still warm out. Their mom Imaira, asks what they think of the new country
13: They
5: say it's beautiful and clean. Jose and Imaira ask some parents from the shelter to watch the kids as we talk at a nearby Tim Hortons, the Canadian Dunkin' Donuts. They're assimilating already. I ask, what's been hardest? And they actually start laughing.
11: <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs>
5: wow. Everything.
12: Really everything. For me, the hardest thing, separating from my children. I was sad for the five months without them. And of course, my wife. And to see everything we left behind in Venezuela, as you can see, or well, everything we can have to leave behind there, it's been really
11: difficult.
5: What's clear, though, is why they left and what they want for their kids.
6: So that they can go to high school, because education is the foundation for everything, somewhere that's located in a place where they can study.
5: Their hearing date with the Refugee Tribunal, the independent Canadian council that determines asylum cases, is scheduled for later this month.
6: Uh, a day we've been waiting for. We knew this would happen, that it would come, and, well, I really hope that that's God's will. Whatever the judge decides, I will accept it.
5: Until that decision, she and her husband maintain their faith and continue to learn about this new northern home.
12: Okay. okay. God, God
5: bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Okay. Okay.
12: okay. <laughs>
1: Jose and Emira have a pretty good shot at staying in Canada. Last year, authorities there gave asylum to nearly two out of every three people who asked for it. If you're wondering, Canada's rate of granting asylum is about 50% higher than the U.S. Today's show was produced by Aikshree Kandaraja, Andrew Becker, and Alexandra Hall. Our show was edited by Cheryl Duvall. Thanks to Reveal, Ziva Brandstetter and Patrick Michaels, and to Wisconsin Public Radio and the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism. Jim Cricky provided production help. Special thanks to Sylvia Torres, Fernando Alvarez, Mabel Jimenez, David Rodriguez, and Emmanuel Martinez. Our sound design team is Jim Briggs and Claire Mullen, with help from Catherine Raimondo. Our head of studio is Krista Scharfenberg. Amy Pyle is our editor-in-chief. Suzanne Reber is our executive editor. And our executive producer is Kevin Sullivan. Our theme music is by Camarado Lightning. Support for Reveal is provided by the Reva and David Logan Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the heising Simons Foundation, and the Ethics and Excellence in Journalism Foundation. Reveal is a co-production of the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. I'm Michael Montgomery. Al Letson will be back next week.